Okay, so we're in the book of Ruth, our second chapter. Uh, four weeks we're going to be in this. And uh, the sermon's titled, Ruth in the Field of Boaz. Um, and uh, in the Old Testament there was a, uh, a law, actually repeated about four times in the Old Testament, where farmers, when they had crops... They went through and harvested their crops. They weren't allowed to go through a second time because they were supposed to leave the leftovers for the poor so that the poor could go through the fields and get something to eat. And that is called gleaning. And uh, that relates to the story today. So let's read together Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. 
and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field till evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to this, into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. And said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So keep close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. I'm sorry, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So, we saw last week when the story began in chapter 1 that Naomi was in a very low place. She had been through a lot of pain. Her husband had died. She had been left to raise her two boys alone. Her two boys had, when they became of age, they married two Moabite women. And then her two sons died. How much grief does one woman need to bear? The situation in Ukraine, I think, gives us a taste of what Naomi and Ruth were going through. Lost loved ones, arriving after a long trip, no place to stay, no job. For Ruth, a foreign land. Naomi, of course, is focusing on her losses, which is so easy for human nature to do. She's not thinking about the fact that in all the painful experiences which God allows his children to bear, that God is always plotting for their glory. But God is going to prove it to her and to all the readers of her story. Even in her bitterness, God's kindness toward Naomi begins to flow into her life. The drought in Israel ends, enabling her to return to her homeland and to her people. Her daughter in Ruth, her daughter-in-law Ruth, insists on returning with her. She's not going to go home, have to go home alone. And we see even more in chapter 2, the chapter we're reading this morning. Ruth gleans in the field of a good and friendly man who takes care of her and provides for her, 
which means that Naomi is cared for and provided for as well. Last week we talked about Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. This week I'd like to introduce a couple of characters in the story that we didn't talk about last week. First of all, Boaz. We're told that Ruth happened to come to the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And in four verses, we're told twice that he was in the clan of Elimelech. It's because it's important. Elimelech was Naomi's husband. So Boaz was a relative of Elimelech, and therefore of Naomi. He maybe was a cousin or a nephew of Elimelech. And this raises the issue of the teaching in the Old Testament law of the leveret marriage. We'll talk about that next week when we talk about Boaz and what he's doing to try to uh, get, make, arrange for Ruth to marry him. Verse 1 tells us of Boaz that he was a worthy man. Well, there isn't a great English word to translate the Hebrew word that's translated here, worthy. Most often it's translated mighty man or warrior. But it's also translated hero, chief, able man. It doesn't seem that his physical prowess or toughness is what is in mind here in this passage. He certainly... It was a manly man, but the point seems to be that he was a prominent, important man. An able leader in the community. And a wealthy man with high social standing. Verse 4 tells us something else about him. And behold, Boab came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now, that's easy to skip over. You know, here Boaz shows up from town and he you know, goes out to his fields where his reapers are harvesting and he greets them with, the Lord be with you. And they respond to him, the Lord bless you. Well, this isn't here by accident. It is designed to tell us something about Boaz. It tells us that he was a godly man and that he ran his household in a godly way. So this Boaz was quite a guy. And if you read the end of the book of Judges, the last few chapters of the book of Judges, and you consider Boaz in light of the other characters that you read about in the book of Judges, it is an extraordinary thing that we find such a godly man at this time of history. And several of the characters in the end of the book of Judges are actually from Bethlehem, the same town as Boaz is from. Now, let's move from a person mentioned a lot in this chapter to someone hardly mentioned at all. And that's God. He's referred to once, just in passing, in this chapter. But that certainly doesn't mean he's not important in this story. 
In fact, he's very active and plays a major role. In fact, really, he's the central character of the story. First of all, he graciously provides for his children. Instead of being angry with Naomi for her bitterness over her devastating losses, God kindly steps up to help Naomi. First, he lifts the famine by sending rain to Israel so that there's harvest to glean from. Then he moves the heart of Ruth to devote herself to Naomi and to return with her to Israel. And uh, that, is an, that is a very rare decision that, Na- that Ruth made. You'd think that she would go home to care for her, her own parents in their old age or to remain in Moab to try to find a husband and start her own family. But instead she committed herself to her ex-mother-in-law to go with her and take care of her and be her family. And then God put it in the heart of Boaz and others to allow the fields to be gleaned. And he puts it into the heart of Ruth to glean in order to provide for the two, for Ruth and Naomi, both. Naomi doesn't ask her to do it. God has made Ruth eager to help. And then God leads Ruth to the field of kind-hearted Boaz and moves Boaz to be generous toward Ruth. Here we have two destitute women who have nothing and have just shown up in town. And God provides not just enough, but more than enough. He not only provides Naomi with care, but ultimately provides her with something that she thought impossible. He provides her with an heir. And not just an heir, but the greatest heir anyone could have. And a beautiful thing happens to Naomi through all of this. Her bitterness in chapter 1 begins to melt away in chapter 2. God's goodness to her, as so often in our lives, God's goodness to her becomes so obvious that she herself begins to recognize it. We also see here the beautiful way that God directs through circumstances. He wanted Naomi to go to Moab in the first place, so he sent a drought to Israel. He wanted to link Ruth up with Naomi, so he led Naomi's son to marry Ruth. He wanted Naomi to return to Israel with Ruth, so he brought fruitful rains back to Israel. He wanted to link Ruth and Boaz, so he had her glean in the fields of Boaz, without even knowing who he was. And he arranged for Boaz to notice Ruth and take an interest in her. Just like Ruth and Boaz and the others, all our encounters are divine appointments. God has set them up and we need to see them through the eyes of Christ that they are his appointments. They may seem ordinary and coincidental, but they are divinely ordained and eternally significant. I think about my own life. For me, it all started. My faith all started by in a high school cafeteria 
just happening to overhear a teammate on the soccer team talking to another guy in, uh, and that was the beginning of how God broke into my life. And now I'd like to make uh, a couple of observations from this chapter. Um, the first is about women. It's interesting how in this book, which is written from a woman's perspective, we notice things we rarely notice elsewhere in the scriptures. And remember, God inspired this book just as he inspired all the rest of scripture. What I'd like to point out is the sense of vulnerability that women live with. It seems that there are four references to it here and just in this chapter 2. In verse 8, Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. And from the context, it seems like he was concerned about her safety. That's why he wanted her to stick with his women. And then in verse 9, he says, have I not charged the young women? I'm sorry. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Again, his, he's sensitive to the danger, the vulnerability that Ruth is in. And so he has given special instructions to the, to the young men to leave her alone. And then in verse 15, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Now, it's not certain, but it seems like this word reproach uh, probably refers to the kind of cat calls which are often directed at young women. Uh, the word means to insult, to shame, to dishonor, to disgrace. And then in verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, that is Boaz's young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So we have four t- references. Do you think God wants us to notice this trend? I know that, you know, uh, Sometimes it seems like this is an issue for the world and not an issue for the church, but it needs to be a concern for Christians. It's a Bible issue. Now, you know, Ruth was not afraid. She went out to glean in the fields and did not, um, but she had no real choice. She and Naomi had to feed themselves. And she had to trust herself to the Lord that, you know, he was going to take care of her. And there's a time when a person has to do that. So, um, she cannot be blamed for taking a risk because she had to eat and she had to provide for Naomi. Now, Israel was the land of God's people. Shouldn't it be different in places where they haven't, they don't have the law? Of, I'm sorry. Shouldn't it be? 
Shouldn't Israel be different than places that don't have the law of God and don't know the fear of God? Yes, of course, it should have been different. Maybe it was somewhat different, although, again, the last few chapters of the book of Judges make it sound like both Israel and the pagan territories around them were were really dangerous places. But Judges 19.12 seems to indicate that at least in the minds of God-fearing Israelites, the pagan territories were even worse. But sadly, Israel was not safe enough to remove the danger, or different enough that there was no danger. And so we see Boaz, a decent man, a good man, a God-fearing man, living in Israel, and yet even he didn't trust the men he'd hired to harvest his field. And as a godly man, he didn't scoff at her danger, but did what he could to protect the women around him. How does he do that? Well, he exhorted his own employees to watch out for the woman. He urges the young men, the young women to glean in groups. And he warns the male gleaners not to touch her. Now, some people would, would uh, you know, think that this is victim blaming. To urge women to take precautions is a way of blaming the woman for the man's evil deeds. Now, victim blaming is a real thing. And we should want no part of it. Excusing men because boys will be boys is shameful. But taking precautions is a wise thing. Was Jesus blaming those who failed to carry weapons when he urged his disciples to carry a sword in Luke 22? I don't think so. He's just urging them to take precautions. The fact is, sinners are prone to abuse power. And there are plenty of men who are ready, not only ready, but too ready, very ready to exploit women. Some disguise their exploitive nature with smooth talk and hunt for vulnerable women hungry for love. And thus, it is wise for women and the people who love them to be watchful and careful. However, the story of Ruth also shows us that there are some men who are trustworthy and even protective. Not all are predatory. This was certainly Boaz, as well as apparently his foreman, who was in charge of the reapers. And Boaz gives us a good picture of the way, the posture of a godly man toward the vulnerability of women. That they should always be alert and trying to watch out for and trying to make life safer for and trying to make life less fearful for the women that uh, are in their circle and around them, in their society even. Now the last thing that I would like to talk about this morning is the beauty and power
power of wearing the right clothing. Now, this is not what you think it is. Um, There is no, I'm not talking about, well, never mind, you'll see what I'm talking about. If you listen, don't turn me off at this point. There's no doubt that the writer here wants us to admire Ruth. She's truly an amazing woman. Dignity, devotion, loyalty, honor, self-restraint. She was hardworking, sincere, resourceful, tireless, and unafraid. But most of all, Ruth was a paragon of love. Ruth's love for Naomi was an active love, an active love. A love that was willing to take action. It was often bold and daring and even risky and self-sacrificing and even humiliating in the actions she was willing to take in order to provide for Naomi in her bitterness. Now, there's nothing in the book of Ruth that tells us what Ruth looked like. So we just have no idea. But we do know what kind of clothes Ruth dressed in. We do know what kind of clothes attracted the attention of this extraordinary man, Boaz. We do know what clothes made her look so lovely that it melted his heart and the hearts of others. You know, sometimes they talk about a woman who is dressed to kill. Well, Ruth was dressed to kill. She killed Boaz. She turned him into mush, so we say. What was Ruth's beautiful clothing which captured the heart of Boaz? Well, we read about it in verse 11. When Ruth asked Boaz the question, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, Ruth adorned herself with good works, like Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. Her adorning was not external, but the adorning of the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable beauty of a calm and gentle spirit, like Peter talks about in 1 Peter 3, 3 through 5. You see, beauty gives a person power. And Ruth's beautiful adornment had a powerful effect on her situation and on the people around her. God doesn't give us the beautiful story of Ruth merely for our enjoyment. In it, he calls us to become like Ruth, an other's person. In the name of Christ. For this is the way Christ was. He came after us out of the greatness of his merciful and compassionate heart. Because of love, he was willing to sacrifice himself 
in order to save us. And now we're exhorted to put on Christ. Romans 13, 14, Galatians 3, 27, much like we put on clothes. And in Colossians 3, 12, we're called to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is Ruth. But this isn't just do-goodism. This is vibrant love which springs from a vibrant faith. This is what Boaz saw in Ruth when he referred to her as having taken refuge under God's wings in verse 12. And that's where it starts. And we also see here where it ends. We see that there's great reward in this. Just as Jesus was glorified for his willingness to serve others by dying on the cross, so Ruth was richly rewarded for giving up her life for the sake of others. She was given citizenship among God's people. She was given a wonderful husband. She was given a child, at least one. She was given salvation of her family line. But best of all, she was given the beginning of a royal dynasty. The dynasty through which Jesus himself came as our Messiah. And to top it all off, think about how almost 3,000 years later, how loved and respected Ruth's name still is because of the way she lived. She is a living example of Luke 18, 29 to 30, where Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more times I'm sorry, will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Ruth did. She left houses and brothers and parents for the sake of the kingdom of God. And we see that she received many times more in her life and in the age to come, eternal life. By blessing others, you bless yourself. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Ruth. Thank you for this story and all that there is in it for us. Thank you for your call in it for us to imitate people like Ruth and Boaz. Their faith, their love, And to remember how they are honored and rewarded for it. We pray, dear Lord, that this call would not fall on deaf ears. But that by the power of your Spirit, Lord, you would make us more like these heroes. Who you have given us as examples. And ultimately, Lord, more like Christ who is the example for us all. 
and who paved the way for eternal life through his death upon the cross. And now, Lord, as we come to celebrate him in the Lord's Supper, we thank you that you have supplied us with this great gift of your Son and pray that we would draw near to him even in the sacrament. We pray that you would help us to feed upon him in our souls even as we feed upon the bread and the wine in our bodies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.